Eagles Entertainment. Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. You're listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right on the week. We've got a lot to discuss as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 292. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with Greg Cosell about the Eagles and the Packers. Sunday afternoon, Eagles lose. What did we take away from the All-22? What did we see from the first two draft picks for this Eagles team in Jalen Hurts and Jalen Rager? We will discuss that and more, as well as look ahead to next weekend's matchup against the New Orleans Saints right at the top of the show here in Chalk Talk. Before we get to our chat with Greg, though, just two quick things. Number one, if you have not lately, please jump on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. It is the best way to throw us your support as we get into the final part of this NFL season. If you ask a question, I'll definitely answer it here on the show. Number two, for those of you who are into the NFL draft, please go check out the Journey to the Draft podcast as well. We're over there talking NFL draft every single week. Myself, Ben Fennell, Dane Brugler, Ross Tucker, twice a week. And especially, we've got actually a special episode here early this week, the one that's going to drop early Tuesday morning. Myself, Dane, Ben, and then we're going to welcome in Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus. We do an Eagles or we do an NFL mock draft, all 32 teams. So we'll see who they, they had the Eagles selecting. We actually had Mike from PFF make, make the pick for the Eagles at sixth overall. We'll have to see who he had the Eagles select. So go check that out on the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. All right, that being said, let's now dive into our chat with Greg Cosell in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Well, back for another edition of Chalk Talk here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, my friend Greg Cosell. Greg, uh, we've got a lot to get into here this week, because obviously, look, it was another loss uh, for the Eagles on the road to the Green Bay Packers, but uh, a change of quarterback for the Eagles in the second half with Carson Wentz going to the sideline, Jalen Hurts coming into the starting lineup. We don't know who the starting quarterback is going to be moving forward into this week against New Orleans, but what we can do is we can talk about what the tape showed us from this past game against Green Bay. and. I guess that's where we'll start, right? We'll talk about the quarterback position. It's all uh, we can do. It's all we can do is talk about do. what the tape showed us. And, Greg, what did the tape show you watching these two guys uh, on Sunday against Green Bay? You know, I think we started to speak about it last week. And I think, you know, if you start with Carson, and I think the tape shows you right now that he's not really seeing things particularly clearly. And I think that's been evident the last two weeks, and I think it continued this week. And we're not going to sit here and do breakdowns of plays because people can't necessarily see it. But I think there are there were numerous numerous examples of that. Um, I think really on third and ten on the first possession, you saw that for the first time. It was the first possession. It was third and ten. Um, so I think that's one thing that the tape showed. I think the second thing that the tape showed is I think Carson is still anticipating and expecting pressure, uh, which, hey, we're not in his head, Fran, so I don't want to say what's in his head, but I'm just, that to me, that's what the tape shows because I think there were numerous times, uh, and I've studied quarterbacks for years, as you know, there were numerous times where he really never planted his back foot and he would move, and there wasn't pressure by NFL standards. So those two things, I think, stood out just in terms of what the tape showed me. 
when it when it comes to the the pressure aspect of it, because I feel like that's a uh, a term and a buzzword that a lot of people from you know from the outside will hear and say like, oh man, like that's it, like it's over. You know, like you immediately it's the uh, the reflection on David Carr in Houston and things of that nature, right. Richard Gabbard in Jacksonville. You've seen quarterbacks kind of go through this in the past and yes. kind of come out the other side of it. So that's not necessarily the point, but it goes to just show where Carson is at right now as we currently sit here. Um, and one of the reasons why the, the, the coaching staff felt it was time to be able to make that change in this game against Green Bay. Well, again, the last thing I want to do is try to sit here and, and tell you what's in Carson Wentz's head. I would never, ever do that. Um, just having done this for years and years, uh, I think I have a relatively decent feel for when I watch a quarterback. And, and one of the things that in the NFL, and I've talked with coaches about this numerous times over the years, the NFL is different than college football. In college football, we often see quarterbacks have very clean pockets. Everything is comfortable. In the NFL, the definition of a clean pocket, Fran, and you know this, is different than it is, let's say, in college football. In the NFL, you have to be able to deliver the ball when there's people around you. You know, as I said, that's a relative term, but you know, I have, and and it's somewhat objective. Different people might have different uh, views of what pressure is. But to me, and I've learned this from a lot of people over the years, you know, a lot of really good people, I think. Um, and in the NFL, you need to be able to stand and deliver when there's people around you. I'm not talking about where you get a shot and you're driven into the turf the second you throw it. I'm just talking about where there's not necessarily a lot of room and a lot of space. Yep. And, you know, I think what happens to quarterbacks when they struggle, and I think it's fair to say Carson Wentz is struggling, is number one, you you anticipate that pressure is coming. And number two, you perceive pressure that's not really there. So I think those two things are happening based purely on film study. And I think that that's an issue that, um, you know, really we haven't seen pop up on the film. And correct me if I'm wrong, we haven't seen it pop up that often with Carson. No. Over the last couple of weeks, right? Over the last like two or three games is when I've really kind of started to see it a little bit more often. And look, when you talk about just the culmination of all the pressure that he has faced, again, we're not in his head. We can't speak to what's happening on those individual snaps. But you kind of see like, all right, like the pressure uh, has kind of taken its toll, it seems, you know, from that respect. Yep. And, you know, the shame of it is, is it's just really difficult to play quarterback efficiently in the NFL when that's the case. And I think we're seeing that with Carson. It's just it's hard to play the position that way because in this league, there will be bodies around you and you have to be able to deliver the football. Yep. And I think what starts to happen when that occurs is your ability to sort of process the term I use, as you know, is eliminate and isolate. And if people are hearing this for the first time, what I mean by that is eliminate what's not there and then isolate what, what is there within the timing of the play and the play design and the play concept, I think when you anticipate and perceive pressure, you lose the ability to do that effectively. Yeah, it's, you know, I think when you look at, uh, you know, that aspect of his game, that that has certainly shown up. I, I want to ask you about a couple of individual plays. Uh, one in particular, let's start with the the long completion of Dallas Goddard, because I feel like that's been talked about uh, a lot in the media. Talking about the one that started the third quarter? Yeah, the one from the backed up situation, the plus 41 yarder. Um, yeah. So, you know, when he's backed up, it was play action. He boots to his right. He throws back across his body on the post route. What were your thoughts just on that play, that throw, and what did you see from the film? Loved the play. Absolutely loved it. It was the first play of the third quarter. I loved the whole concept. 13 personnel, 
So you get the pack, the Packers in their base defense, which they never play. They play two snaps the whole game. They don't want to be in their base defense. Um, it was a well-designed throwback concept. And the other part that I loved, high tower jet action from the boundary to the field to make it look like a three-man route concept to the field. And, and that's what the play looked like to the defense. And we don't see a lot of jet motion from the Eagles. So when I saw that, um, I happened to miss it live. I'm, uh, who knows what I was doing at home at that very moment, but I happened to miss it live. So when I put the tape on today and saw it, I was like, wow, jet motion. That's I, I love it. And like I said, it made it look like a three-man route concept to the field. Um, I thought Goddard did an outstanding job showing the corner route, then breaking to the post. And, the safety uh, ended up on the ground. Yeah, that's exactly right. And then Wentz, I think he underthrew it, but I think he saw Goddard so wide open, he just wanted to make sure that he he got it to him for the completion, uh, you know, because you had an opportunity for a big explosive play, and it turned out to be 41 yards. Yeah, on that one, he's going full boot to his right, and Goddard is going from right to left, opposite Correct. hash. So uh, that is a difficult throw. When you're oh, I'm not knocking Carson that on way. that one. You no, no question. Sure that's complete. Yeah, I, that's why I wanted to make sure that we kind of clarified that for the listeners. Yeah. That's why a lot of times you'll see when teams do run that concept, I feel like, because I just ro- watched it, uh, Aaron Rodgers had just thrown that touchdown to Robert Tunyon, was it the week ago, on a very similar route, a very, very similar concept. Yep. And uh, typically you see that it'll be like half boot, where like it'll be, you know, it'll, it won't be, it'll be off like outside zone action, and the quarterback is not too far out of the pocket. It's not too far of a, of a throw across the body. Here they went full boot. And so his momentum. No, he was throwing right. that on the run. Yes, exactly. He did, he did not. I mean, we've seen the Eagles do things like that where he has stopped and set yep. different different route concept. But didn't he hit? I think it was against the Giants where he hit Perkins. Was it last year or the year before? It was last year. Last year where he booted right, but he was able to stop and set and throw it across his body. Like I said, different route concept, yep. but still throwing it. You know, a throwback kind of deal. Yep, no question. And so we we kind of saw that from that play. Uh, one key sequence that I think um, is important to kind of bring up was, was late first quarter. Uh, the Eagles get the ball. They're right, right in the, the fringe area of the field. Second and eight, they take a sack. Third and 14, take a sack. I don't know if you remember the, the sequence, if you've got your notes from it, but it was late first quarter. Just that two-play sequence where you Are you talking about where the, the Kiki sack on third and 11? I believe so. it was either third and 11. See, that to me was an example – that was a perfect example of what I said earlier. And, and I made a note of Kiki sack on third and 11 late in the first quarter. So you're probably speaking about that. Um, I thought that was another example of Wentz breaking down before he planted. I thought he moved into pressure on that play. Gotcha. And, and that to me was one of those plays where he anticipated and expected pressure because he never planted. There was no pressure initially and he moved into the pressure. So I thought that was an example of, of what we spoke about to start the podcast. Gotcha. All right. So let's get into uh, what we saw from Jalen Hurts uh, when he stepped onto the field. Obviously, um, you know, his ability to run around and make plays. He was able to run for a couple of different first downs. Interested to kind of get your thoughts, kind of walking away from the tape, having watched Hurts. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, quarterbacks who come in who have running ability always show that and, and it gets it's exciting. Um, obviously, on his first drop back, he threw the uh, 34-yard fade to Rager. Um which was a really nice job because I thought Sanders missed his blitz pickup yep. assignment and Green got in clean. But Hertz had time because that's a timing spot throw. Um, and since it's five-step drop timing, a second-level defender will not get there when you're in the gun. So, so it didn't impact the throw. 
I tell you what impressed me a lot on that play was was Rager because I thought he used his right arm really effectively coming off the ball to create separation and get on top of King. Yeah, I, I thought that you saw him really win off the ball fast. Uh, you saw him win through contact at that yeah. point and then to the ground. So a couple different points of contact there. I really like Rager's ability to go up and win in that situation. Uh, anything else? Any other big takeaways uh, from Hurts overall in this game? Obviously, the, the touchdown throw uh, to Greg Ward, a lot of people were excited about. Um, any other kind of takeaways from what you saw from the rookie? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. Look, I, I think when you see a guy come in for the first time, you expect – not to see certain things like I thought he left a, a throw to wide open ward on the on an inbreaker yep. on second and 22 on his first possession. He got stuck on his first read, which was Jeffrey, and then left the yep. pocket with no awareness of ward. Um, and hey, that's OK. It's his first game. You know, you would expect him to come in and not necessarily be be reading, you know, two and three. Um, it's funny you mentioned the ward 32 yard touchdown because that was another example where and you know you know the play I'm sure they ran dagger to the trip side with yep. Ward from the inside slot running the deep over uh, another example where Ward never planted he left the pocket immediately now it ended up being great um I thought it was one of the few plays by the way in the game in which Jerry Alexander did not show any field awareness but that's a separate point but but it ended up being a touchdown and I'm sure you say when he comes to the sideline great play um you know, I thought overall in his first significant playing time, he did not have a real good sense of progression reading. Um, but my sense was that he got a little more comfortable as the game progressed and he played more snaps. Yeah, uh, we've talked about this a lot with quarterbacks that kind of have that running skill set. You watch them early in their career, uh, you know, you Really, I mean, you can go down the list of a lot of guys, a lot of young guys in the NFL right now uh, that have, you know, that have that skill set. That's kind of what it looks like, right? Early on, is no question. More often than not, that's how you're how, how right. it's going to look. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, he had more snaps than not in which he hit his back foot and broke down and left the pocket. Now, right. if the immediate throw was there, he threw it. I mean, obviously, we talked about the Rager throw. There were a couple of others um, where he did that, but for the most part, um, he broke down and left the pocket, and he made some plays, you know, with his legs, which he'll probably do if if he continues to play more. Uh, and and like I said, I do think he got a little more comfortable. Um, let me ask you a question. The 20-yarder uh, to um, Zach Ertz. Yes. So this, I'm glad you asked about this. Go ahead. What did you think the coverage was? I watched that play <laughs> 10, 12 times, and I just wasn't sure. Yeah, I went back and forth on it. I mean, they were running some kind of zone pressure from the ba- from the field side or from the boundary side, if I remember right. They were on the, the left hash, I believe. Um, and Green Bay drops Darius Smith to that side. And I'm not sure if – he was supposed to get with and get under that, or if the defender on that side on over number two was just carrying vertically, and that's why he was removed from that area of the field. Either way, Ertz ended up being wide open. Yeah, I, I mean, exactly who who to blame on that side, but Ertz was wide open on because that because Ertz was number three to trips, and the Packers matched clearly matched up man to man on number two and number one, and nobody played Zach Ertz. Yep. Uh, that's why I was interested to kind of go back and watch because even you know seeing it on TV, we didn't see a clean angle of why Ertz was so wide open, and it was a play. It ended up being a play. The Eagles had run that concept, or a similar kind of concept, numerous times in the game where they ran. Uh, basically, it was a, from tri- tri- uh, uh, from a trips formation through yep. that one set, and number one and number two both ran vertically, basically clearing out. So using two receivers to clear out the sideline, and then ran the tight end, the number three receiver 
on a basically a corner route, sail route, deep out route, whatever you want to call it. They had no success with it until that play. Until that play, and it just yeah. so happened they, they caught Green Bay in that coverage. It was a busted coverage, and uh, Zach Ertz was wide open, and Hertz was able to hit him. Um, yeah. Um, it, yeah, that was. I'm glad you asked me about that play. You know, and obviously the Packers, once they saw Hertz come in the game and run a bit, they started spying on him. I think they had four or five snaps where they spied. It was mostly Kirksey. There was one where it was Preston Smith. But, you know, they started spying on him. Yeah, and uh, that would be something that if uh, Jalen Hurts is the starter this week, I would imagine that New Orleans uh, will be doing something similar. Uh, but, you know, that remains to be seen. We'll get to see uh, later on here. The, you mentioned Jalen Rager, uh, and I thought that was important to kind of bring up. <clears throat> I'm, not, I'm sure you didn't watch the uh, the special teams film. Well, I saw, it, I saw, the you saw that. You saw that one live. Yeah, Great yeah. to see him get into the end zone on special teams. That was a big part uh, of his game in college. But uh, what did you see from Jalen Rager? I mean, we, saw, we talked about the, the play on the fade. We saw him on an end around. You know, just good to see him get, you know, get more and more in, as a part of the game plan. You know, again, just a couple of weeks removed from that injury. No, and I think you're trying to do that. I mean, you know, that's why that play where he caught the fade ball um, from Hertz was a play I was excited about because obviously a lot of college receivers come into the league and there's always a concern about press man because they're going to face much better corners at the NFL level, Fran, as we both know. Yep. And you're going to get better press coverage, whether it's, physical jam press coverage or just mirror match press coverage is just going to be better and you're going to have to win. And uh, I thought that being physical, because even though he's not tall, he's a stockily built strong kid. And I thought the way he used his inside arm pretty much to kind of, you know, competitively push King, who's a six, two, six, three corner, push him away and, and just therefore win through contact and create, because all you need, because he can run, he just needed a step and he got that step with that, that physical approach to the press man. Yeah. It's a, a you know, to me, just one of the, the big highlights for Jalen Rager for sure. Uh, so far this season, hopefully we can see a few more here uh, as the regular season comes to a, a wrap here in the next four games. Uh, I'm trying to think if there was anything else. Did anybody else uh, stand out offensively in your mind? We saw a little bit of Miles Sanders uh, in this game. A couple of nice runs from him, I thought, especially early uh, where he was able to kind of make that first man miss. I mean, that's the first run of the game. Playside backer completely unblocked. I don't yeah. know if that was a missed assignment on, on Jordan Mailata or somebody on that left side. Um, but playside linebacker comes in clean, free run through, and Miles able to shake off him and make that first man miss for six yards uh certainly good to see um they're trying to think overall if there was anybody else on the offensive side that really stood out we talked about the goddard play uh my lot i thought was solid uh overall against uh, that that pass rush group uh yeah i don't know if you had any other big takeaways from the offensive side probably not big takeaways i mean you know everybody always talks about they got to run the ball and run the ball you know and that's great uh and it's nice to be able to run the ball but you and i both know at some point you got to throw it um you know so we'll see what happens going forward uh they're facing you know we'll get to this obviously where they're facing a team that's really difficult to run against this week yeah, yeah no question we'll talk about that saints defense here in a bit uh let's get to the eagles defense real quick i want to play this game with you because i we've had i've had fun doing it over the last couple of weeks who was like one or two guys that walking away from the defensive film, you would say, oh, you know, this guy really stood out to me. In this uh, game. God, I, I, now I feel like I'm having a test because <laughs> I don't know if I feel like one guy really stood out this week to me where, you know, normally I say, hey, someone really stood out. I, I don't know. I thought Fletcher was really, really good against the run in this game. And, you know, obviously Green Bay yeah. looking to run the football. I thought he was uh, impactful. Yeah, he I could see that. I could see that. Um after that, I, to me, like Singleton kind of flew around. I think he'd like to have that 77-yard touchdown run by Aaron Jones back. Uh, yeah, I well, think he'd also he'd... like to have the Tanyan touchdown back because that was no his question. responsibility. Yeah, take us through what you saw from that one because uh, that one I know has been talked about. Yeah, I mean, they were um, 
let's see. So that was the 25 yarder to Tanyan, right? The 25 yes. yard touchdown. Correct. Yeah. Um, what happened on that play is um, the, if I'm not mistaken, they were in a cover three boundary lock and it was a three by one set and Tanyan was number three to trips. And so when you're, when you're playing boundary lock and you have an offset back to the boundary and a boundary X, that means that the hook player and that's the term in zone. The hook player to the boundary side is responsible to carry number three running vertically across the field from the field to the boundary. Mm. And Singleton kind of, I can't tell you what's in his head, so I'm not going to try. Um, but um, that he was responsible for Tanyan, who was number three to trips on, I'll call it a deep over out. And he kind of got lost. And you could even see when the play ended, yeah, I think it was Mills who kind of looked at him like, you know, hey, I think uh, I think that was yours because it was his. So, but you're right, he did fly around. He made some plays. That one, I think, he just mentally got got lost for a sec. Yep, I think uh, that certainly uh, makes sense to me. It, it was kind of it was interesting, kind of looking big picture at this game for the defense because. I mean, you have, on one hand, you force Green Bay into four three and outs. That's not easy to do against that offense because, you know, they've been operating at a very high yep. level for much of the season. On the other hand, you know, you give up the 77-yard touchdown. They gave up two touchdown drives of 90-plus. I mean, it was either – really, honestly, when you get down to it, it was either touchdown drives that were long touchdown drives or there were three and outs. It was really one, uh, one extreme or the other uh, with this defense. So, watching the film, saw plenty of good. He's also not so good. Uh, you know, and obviously in this game, they chose to play big nickel as yeah. their defense versus 12 personnel, some 21 personnel because the Packers actually played with a fullback on a number of snaps. Um, and they played Wallace as the third safety with McLeod and Mills. Yep. And what struck me as interesting about that, Fran, was that Wallace was the post safety. Yes. And that struck me as interesting because – I did not see his skill set coming out of Clemson as that of a post safety. He didn't do it often. What's that? He didn't do it often when he was there. No, but I mean, they obviously felt that McLeod, who's been very, very good against the run this year, was the better guy to play in the box versus 12 personnel. Yeah, I think that that was really interesting to see um, from the big nickel standpoint. I was interested to see what the rotation would be uh, with with Will Parks no longer uh, on the team. And then um, it seemed that in dime that they went, three corners, three safeties, and that the third safety was Marcus Epps. Was that kind of how you saw that rotation? Kayvon Wallace came off That's and died. exactly what it was. Came on. Yeah, yeah they played three corner, like three safety dime. Yeah. And, um, you know, which we've seen them do this year. Yes. You know, okay. obviously Epps, due to COVID, missed a number of weeks. But, I mean, he, he had been the dime safety prior to that. So right. that was not something new. No question. Uh, all right, well, let's get to this week's matchup here, Greg, because – Eagles got a big test once again. Uh, this New Orleans team is very good. Um, I want to start with – we usually start with the opposing team's offense, but since we've talked about the Eagles' offense and some of their troubles, I want to start with New Orleans' defense because watching this group, I spent all day Friday watching it, and it's a really fun group to study. They fly around. They do a lot of stuff. I mean, they do a lot of different things um, from a coverage standpoint. They really mix things up. It's a very aggressive group. They play fast. They're very multiple up front, too. When they go base, you'll see odd fronts and even fronts. They'll line up Zach Bond in a couple of different spots. Cam Jordan will stand up and play with his hand in the dirt. David Onyemata slides up and down the line. They rotate guys in and out. Linebackers, there's a nice rotation there. Uh, in the secondary, they play a lot of guys. So, I mean, this defense is, I mean, they're number one in a lot of categories for a good reason. It's a good group. Uh, they're a really good group. 
They're, I mean, they're number two in the league in, in rush defense, giving up 76 yards per game. The last four or five weeks, even if you take out the Denver game where Denver didn't have a quarterback, they've been playing a really, really good football. Uh, a lot of people think it's, be, you know, with the addition of Quan Alexander, uh, yep. maybe that's it. Who knows? But the point is, when they got Quan Alexander, he replaced Alex Anzalone as the nickel linebacker. Yep. So they clearly felt that Quan Alexander was a better fit for them in their sub nickel with Demario Davis, who to me is one of the three best three down linebackers in the NFL. I'll tell you I what, think. I was really impressed with him. Oh, well, I've been watching him for a number of years. I, yeah. Last year, I was I came out after about week seven or eight and said that I thought he was the best three-down linebacker in the NFL last year. Wow. And, uh, and I think he's continuing to play at a really high level. He does everything that you want in, uh, in a three-down linebacker. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, it's that you know, we'll see. They normally do not play base. They 90% of their yep. defensive snaps this year have been in a sub package. Uh, Gardner Johnson is to me, you can make the argument that he's one of the best three or four nickel, uh, you know, slot defenders in this league. And I think he's the reason for what they do because he has safety and corner traits. Yeah. And uh, I think they feel really comfortable with him in the run game. He can blitz, he can cover. Uh, so therefore they play 90% out of a sub defense. Yeah, they're, I know they're one of the highest teams in the league when it comes to playing dime, I believe fourth in the league and with playing yep. six defensive backs. Uh, they feel comfortable. I mean, when you look at the guys on the back end there, when you talk about Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, who can line up in the slot, they'll play him out wide, they'll line up in the box, he'll blitz off the edge. Obviously, Malcolm Jenkins, he's playing a little bit more deep than he did when he was here in Philadelphia. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, a lot of his snaps up near close to the line of scrimmage. Well, but, go ahead. I was just going to say, just to show you how committed they are to play dime, and then I'll respond to what you just said. Yeah. They started Patrick Robinson this week, who was in, in for Janoris Jenkins, who was inactive. And right. then Robinson gets hurt. It doesn't impact their ability to play dime at all. They no. just bring P.J. Williams, who normally was the third safety in yep. dime. And he because he was a corner in college and has NFL experience at corner, they just moved him to corner opposite Lattimore. And they just brought in D.J. Swearinger, who's got a ton of experience in this league. So they are clearly committed to dime. Now, keep one thing in mind. This is a team that plays a ton of two-man coverage, okay? That means two deep safeties, man-to-man across the board. And what they do there is the safeties are Swearinger and Marcus Williams, and Malcolm Jenkins will match up to the tight end man-to-man. Yep. What I'll often see on third downs, and tell me if I'm wrong, third downs, it seems like they crowd the line of scrimmage, linebackers up on the – their linebackers are a big part of their pressure package. So whether it's Demario Davis, Quan Alexander, Alex Anzalone, whoever's in there, those guys are going to be up crowding the line of scrimmage, and they'll play five across with those guys with dime personnel, six DBs spread out across the formation. You don't know who's coming, who's blitzing, who's who's dropping. They do a lot from that standpoint. And it's not like – it's almost – correct me if I'm wrong. To me, it felt like a lot of designer kind of blitzes where I wasn't like, oh, yeah, they're a big double-A gap team or they're, you know, they're big with uh, you know, bringing both guys off the edge or lots of cross dogs. Like, they'll, they'll run a lot of different two- and three-man games. They'll use the linebackers and safeties as part of those stunts, and that's also difficult to be able to deal with uh, on a week-to-week basis. They, they do a lot of different things from that standpoint. Without question, Dennis Allen, uh, who I've talked to about this, is a big believer in that. Um, 
And and the other thing they do a lot of, Fran, is what we call a green dog. Yep. So in other words, yeah. if you feel that you can't handle Cam Jordan off the edge or Hendrickson, who's got 10.5 sacks this year. So if, if you feel you can't handle them off the edge and you have to keep a back or a tight end to pass protect, to help, then what they do is the, the player who's guarding the back or the tight end man-to-man he doesn't just stand there and cover grass. He attacks the quarterback. They are they play with an aggressive mindset. And normally when that happens, there's no one who's responsible for that guy. So, you know, they, they get sacks that way as well. So, no, they are an aggressive defense. You know, what was interesting this past week, because they play so much two-man, and with two-man you can do what we call undercut routes or tailgate routes, they did not match Lattimore and Julio Jones this week. Because if you're going to play two-man, you don't necessarily need to do that. Yeah. Do you envision that that'll be something the Eagles will see on Sunday? Without question. Yeah, I, I think so, too. I think they'll see a lot of two men. And I also Sunday. think you're going to see a lot of pressure. Right. Yep. That's a good point. I, I think when you look. At, I mean, uh, with Mulata and Driscoll, you're going to see pressure. Yeah. I, I, this is a, it's a really good group. I mean, Cam Jordan. Cam Jordan's a lot of fun to watch. His hands are about as fast as anybody in the league. I, I'd put him probably with the Bosa's there in terms of yeah. how fast his hands are. He is a power rusher through and through. He will go and he right never through. gets talked about at, with the high-level pass rushers, you know, just because he doesn't get 18 sacks a year. He's so but You could argue that his career, that he's been a special player. Yeah, and as you mentioned, I mean, Trey Hendrickson uh, has been very productive. The guy they can bring off the bench, Marcus Davenport, is as freaky as they come to. I mean, the guy's just dripping with yep. traits. They, they spent two first-round picks on the guy, uh, and he comes off the bench, and – yeah, I know he's not like a finished product yet, but you know, with his explosiveness and his power, I mean, w- w- when he's a looper on stunts, running up against guards and even t- against running backs at times, like that guy's all load to be able to stop. It's a, and it's a good. Group. They got one more guy who's worth mentioning because, uh, you know, I think when he came in the league, no one saw him as a pass rusher, but he's become a little twitchy at times, and that's Onyemata. He's a very good inside pass rusher. One of the most underrated players in the league. Yeah, I would say for a, a few years now, watching the Saints defense, you know, I mean, you, he'd been kind of like that that backup, that first man off the bench, and oh, when this guy gets hurt, we'll plug him in here, or we'll plug him in there, kind of similar to um, Tank Lawrence, or not, uh, not Tank Lawrence. Um, who's the other the other Lawrence down in uh, in Dallas? Uh, not Demarcus. Who's the the, the DND tackle that's been there for forever? Um, oh. I forget, but I know who you're talking about. Yeah, for some reason, I'm, I'm, yeah. Mind, I'm having a, a blank here. But yeah. uh, David Onyemata, really, really impressive kid. Really a good player. Yeah, I mean, he's a really, really a good player. player. All right, let's go over to their offensive side. And obviously, look, we much like the Eagles, we don't know if Drew Brees is going to make the start uh, here this week. That being said, it seems like he'll be holding off for one more week, coming off his rib injury, and that Taysom Hill uh, will once again get the start, his fourth uh, so far. Interesting to kind of get your thoughts on Taysom Hill as he – you know, exceeded the expectations for you coming in uh, from what you expected? Um, a little bit. I mean, I didn't really know. So I don't want to say he yeah, exceeded sure. because I, I don't know if you did. I did not watch him coming out of college. I did not study him. That, no, I did so not I that. really, you know, again, he had a reputation. People talked about him as a runner. I don't think many people took him seriously, Fran, as an NFL quarterback. So therefore, you know, I didn't study him because I can only get to so many guys, you know, I probably do 15 quarterbacks a year, give or take. And I didn't get to him that year. So, so I really had no sense other than from, you know, what people I respect told me that he's not likely to be an NFL quarterback. Um, So I really hadn't seen him. And, you know, the, the first start came week 11 against the Falcons. Sean Payne did an unbelievably good job of really, I don't want to say keeping it simple because that comes across as if the guy can't think, but you know, you know what I'm talking about. And I I hope people do as well. Defining 
reads, defining throws, so that you can play with a sense of rhythm. You know, not asking him to do full field reads, keeping everything to one side of the field. You know, things like that, which you do with any young quarterback, any inexperienced quarterback. Greg, it feels like the term quarterback friendly used to be thrown around a lot before. Yeah. It was almost like a like a bad term, like, oh, you know, they're a real QB friendly offense. People don't say that word, like that term anymore, no. right? because I feel like that's the way the teams play now in the NFL. Like you, you want your scheme to be friendly to the quarterback. There is nothing wrong with that. No, that's what it should be. Or it should that's, be. Called, that's you know what you know what that's called, friend coaching. Yeah, right. Yep. That's called coaching. Oh, that's you know, it's just like our buddy Ben. You know, always talks about that. You want it. You want a system quarterback, and you want a game manager. You know, that's those are not pejorative, negative terms. Right. Exactly. You know, that's right. what you ideally want. Last week they asked him to do a little bit more. I thought he threw the ball really well this week. I thought that he looked comfortable. Um, you know, I think there were some throws he was a, just a hair late, and I think assuming. I mean, obviously, I think when Drew is healthy, he's going to play. But I think it leads you to believe with Taysom Hill that he could play the position. Um, You know, I'm always leery of deciding what a guy is. I mean, so many people do that now on social media because, you know, we have to we have to make a a definitive judgment on every throw and every snap. But as we both know, but I'm just you know, I don't want to sit here and say, well, you know, you can't play like this every week. Well, you know it won't be like this every week if he keeps getting starts and starts and starts. Maybe it's not this year. Maybe it's next year. Who knows? But I thought they did more with him this week. They ran some of their concepts that they ran, that they run with drew. And I thought he executed well. Yeah. I I haven't, I mean, obviously look, they're going to do when he's in the game, you're going to see more design quarterback runs. They've done some good stuff with him uh, inside the 20 yard line, quarterback uh, sweeps, quarterback powers. Like you're going to see those designed runs. Um, but they open up the pass game a little bit more this week as well. So uh, that's certainly going to be a big part of how they're going to try and attack this Eagles team. It's not going to just be QB run, QB run, QB run. Um, I would ask you about another player in that, in that backfield who uh, is just so dynamic uh, when he's got the ball in his hands. And um, I would feel, I feel like his role has changed just a little bit uh, with Taysom Hill and under center, as opposed to Drew Brees. Uh, and that's Alvin Kamara. I feel like, with with Kamara or with Taysom Hill in the lineup, he's not featured as much as a pass catcher. Probably they yep. don't want to create as many of those, you know, touch situations for Taysom Hill underneath. But overall, I mean, when the ball gets into, into Alvin Kamara's hands, I mean, he, he he's a tough guy to get to the ground. Yeah, who knows? Maybe the Taysom Hill runs would have been Kamara, you know. Exactly. Who knows? Um, but the point is, the guy is so dynamic. And you can't go into the game saying, oh, we don't have to worry about him as a pass receiver. No, no. Because cannot. he's... He may be the best receiving back in the NFL. Um, And normally he is offset in the backfield to the boundary, the short side of the field. Oftentimes he split to the boundary with Michael Thomas. And that's a really tough cover with those two guys to the same side of the formation. Um, They clearly don't overuse him as a runner. It's, It's game dependent. Because some weeks we might see Latavius Murray get 15 carries. Some weeks like this past week, uh, Kamara gets about 15 and Murray gets five. So you don't know how Sean Payton sees a specific opponent in terms of, of um, you know, backfield usage. No, I think it's certainly going to be something to watch uh, here in this one. Obviously, when they're just trying to bang downhill, more often than not, it's going to be Latavius Murray. But then you get Alvin Kamara on, uh, you know, those perimeter runs for sure. Yep. But then also, you know, the outside zone, they'll get him in counter just because that can be, you know, a C-gap run where, they, you know, he's able to bounce and kind of take that out into space. Uh, you're going to see plenty of Alvin Kamara. And then also uh, the screen game as well. We, we, we'll, we've seen, you know, they'll do the different throwback plays to him. Um, you know, they'll get him out of the backfield on those Texas routes. So he's going to be a factor uh, in this one. Interesting to kind of get your thoughts 
obviously the, the usage has not been there because he's been out of the lineup for different reasons. But uh, thoughts on Michael Thomas since his return to the lineup over the last couple of weeks? Well, he's had two big games, both against the Falcons, yep. you know, week 11 and week 13. Um, he's he's better than I thought he, w- he would be coming out of Ohio State. Agreed. Um, I think, you know, to me, he's a really good route runner. He's a lot quicker as a route runner with his ability to separate and win than I thought he'd be coming out of college. He's super competitive, has really good hands. Um, they use him a lot on crossing routes, but he's really good run after catch. So he can catch slants, he catches hitches, and he creates yards after catch. He's one of those guys you've got to make sure you get to the ground when he catches the football. No question. No question. Uh, and obviously uh, one of the more competitive and more physically oh, opposing receivers yeah. uh, in the league, just because I mean, his size, the way that he battles uh, through the ra- early in the down, through the route, and then at the catch point, uh, he is a tough guy to be able to handle. Uh, Jared Cook still working down the seam, uh, has that ability to be a field stretcher um, you know, at that position. They've got a couple of other young guys that they kind of rotate in at the receiver spot. You've got the veteran uh, field stretcher and Emmanuel Sanders. So plenty of targets there for whoever's a quarterback in this offense. The other part of this is their offensive line. And I know they, you know, they uh, were kind of banged up over the last couple of weeks, but when this group is healthy and everybody's in the lineup, I mean, you look at left tackle, Teron Armstead, left guard, Andrews Pete, you got the two young guys at center uh, or at center and right guard. When you look at Eric McCoy and then Cesar Ruiz at right guard, the, the first round pick this past year, Ryan Ramchek at right tackle. I mean, what's that one, two, that's, is it all five first round pick? No, four first round picks and a second round pick. That's a, that's a hell of an offensive line, Greg. It is. And the other thing to keep in mind, and this will be interesting to see how the Eagles match up, is they play with six offensive linemen on 15% of their snaps. So will the Eagles, will they see that as 4-3 or big nickel? We won't know that until the game. But, you know, they do play with six offensive linemen, and they're very, very good at it. I think I did that research today. Fran, I'm just going to pull that up because um, they've had 120 snaps with six offensive linemen, okay? Okay. They're averaging, they've had 98 rushes, okay, for averaging 4.6 yards a rush when they rush with six O-linemen, and the quarterbacks are 14 for 22 for 197 yards. So they are very successful. 14 runs of 10-plus yards when they've had six offensive linemen on the field. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, I mean, that speaks for itself in terms of their efficiency, both running the ball and throwing the football uh, out of that set. I'll be interested to see ultimately how the defense responds here this week uh, from the Eagles. But Uh, Greg, it's going to be a really interesting matchup. Excited to talk about it with you next week right here on the Eagle Line the Sky podcast. Thanks so much once again for joining us here on Chalk Talk. Fran, always fun. Thanks. Experience the fastest internet and more in a snap. With Xfinity XFi, you get the speed, coverage, control, and security you need for the ultimate in-home Wi-Fi experience. Xfinity, proud partner of the Philadelphia Eagles. Well, great stuff this week, as always, from Greg, who you can follow on Twitter, just like I do, at Greg Cosell. And while you're at it, I'm at Eagles XOs. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce here with Eagles Entertainment. You know I greatly appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on all forms of social media. That is one way to support the show, but the best way is to go into Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, leave us a rating, and leave us a comment. I wanted to give a shout-out today to someone who did just that, and that is Coach48, who left us a five-star review on Apple Podcast with the question basically asking, look, could Aaron Rodgers play for the Eagles this year? Reference the Tampa Bay game where he lost an offensive tackle and then uh, did not have a very productive outing after that, saying is there any chance that Aaron Rodgers would still be alive after the beating that Carson Wentz takes week after week? So, look, obviously we, and we've talked about this. 
there are a lot of extenuating circumstances when you look at the inefficiency on offense this year, right? I mean, when you look at uh, the Carson Wentz, you can, there's plenty of blame to go around. At the end of the day, they are not moving the football. They're just not, whether it's running the ball, throwing the football, uh, there have been lots of things. You know, you have all the turnover along the offensive line. There is no question. That is a huge, huge factor, right? And you talk about the change in coaching staffs and, you know, moving guys around and, you know, the offense, you have a lot of young players, especially uh, at the wide receiver position. You had both tight ends out of the lineup. It's just been a constant rotating door, right? I mean, and that's, that's very tough for a quarterback, for a center at Jason Kelsey. Those guys trying to keep everything in line with that lack of continuity, it's very, very difficult. But, um, you know, look, at the end of the day, uh, the, this is, it's a results business, and they have not been able to consistently move the football. As of this recording, we don't know who's going to be the quarterback uh, for the Eagles this week against New Orleans. We don't know if it'll be Carson Wentz or if they'll go over uh, to the rookie and Jalen Hurts. We'll have to continue to sit and wait and find out. Maybe we'll know by the time we uh, we take the air uh, for myself and Ben Fennell later on this week here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Thanks so much to Coach 48. Great question. Hope you got the answer that you were looking for. Special thanks as well to Greg Cosell and all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcast offerings on Eagles Entertainment. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade for everybody here at the Duffy House. I'm Fran Duffy. We'll talk to you later this week. There's still time to be in the stands at Lincoln Financial Field this season with an Eagles fan cutout. Put on your game day best and upload a photo of yourself so that you can join us on game days. Fan cutouts printed by Rico are only $35, and orders of four or more receive a $5 discount per cutout. Best of all, your purchase benefits Eagles Autism Foundation and also waives the registration fee for the 2021 Eagles Autism Challenge event. Order today at PhiladelphiaEagles.com slash cutouts.